0: Why don't we do a Buddy Holly number?
1: Welcome to this week's When They With Fab. I'm Ed Chen. John Stone is actually off playing some music, something Lonnie Payne is getting ready to do, but Lonnie's here with us today.
0: Hey, hi there, Ed. Hi there, folks out there in podcast world. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. Ed I, I miss you guys, but uh I, I really appreciate it. It's gonna be fun. We need you sometimes, so
1: you you are you are the first call.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir.
1: All right. So first off, as we're recording this, it is, well, half of George Harrison's 80th birthday. Those of you out there know George liked to celebrate on both the 24th and the 25th. It was always recorded as the 25th, but sometime out there in the 80s, he started telling me, well, no, my birthday is actually the 24th.
0: (laughs) So peculiar, but really doesn't surprise me. I have a cousin who for Pretty much most of her life up till the 20s thought her birthday was on the September the 29th. And in fact, it was the 28th. <laughs> so so I, I could understand that. He always had an alibi for that, right?
1: The story Olivia likes to tell is that as George got up there and didn't want to celebrate birthdays anymore, if anyone said happy birthday to him on the 24th, he'd say, what do you mean? It's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and if they said it to him on the 25th, he's like, no, sorry, you missed it. It was yesterday.
0: Ding dong, ding dong. <laughs> Tomorrow will be yesterday.
1: Yesterday. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, this is the story, and you know I've told this story before. But hey, it would be George's 80th birthday. It's the 80th anniversary of George's yeah. birth. So we'll tell the story yet again. George always thought his birthday was on the 25th because his mom Louise always liked to call him on the 25th and you know remind him that he was getting a year older. Okay. Yeah, she'd call him from England. Uh, you know, George always said, okay, so my birthday is the 25th. But it turns out that World War II was a special time in England for many reasons.
0: I can hear the air raids. Where's our buddy we interviewed once with the... with The uh
1: the Beatle the- Drama Podcast. Look for it. He's getting ready to put out a new episode, but... Uh, he- is he? Oh, cool. Okay. But anyway, so in England during the Second World War in 1941, the British government adopted what they called British double summer time. Therefore, the clocks would be two hours in advance of GMT when ordinary daylight savings time would normally be in effect. Then during the winter, clocks were kept one hour in advance of GMT.
0: And so that affected those dates. That, and, exactly. And, and, you know, on the time he was born. Which, exactly. You know, whatever time he was born, eleven, whatever.
1: Yeah, so, so George yeah. was born just after midnight, but oh, okay. had the clocks been correct, or not necessarily correct, I mean, you know, they were correct, it was, the government said, this is what we're going to do, and they did it, but if they had followed the normal, you know, back and forth of the clock that the rest of the world did yeah. for that period of time, George actually would have been born just before midnight on the 24th.
0: Okay, it is, um, it's not confusing,
1: folks. It's, no, it's uh, not you know, confusing. <laughs> short version, his mom told he was born just after midnight on the 25th, but because the clocks had not moved back, it were at any other time other than during the Second World War when they kept the clocks back two hours at that point, George would have been born late in the evening on the 24th. So
0: I think it was a clever way for him to get double gifts.
1: There you go. Double, well, the, I mean, double the cake. We don't know whether George ever actually found out about it, but I like to say that's the reason why he can, he can justify celebrating his birthday twice. Okay.
0: So happy birthday, George. Happy. Would have been, exactly. been, been 80th. Exactly. Would have been eighty, right? Would have been
1: eighty this year, yeah. Um, bless his heart. And we got some news from Dark Horse. Oh. George's catalog is moving back to Dark Horse. He is, once again, the Dark Horse. He is going to be the only one of the solo Beatles not on Universal. I think that's a smart horse.
0: (laughs) Very, very smart horse.
1: (laughs) Well, but I mean, that means if they're going to try and put together any sort of solo thing with songs from each of the four of them. That becomes a little bit more difficult.
0: Yeah, but full ownership.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, that's not a bad thing, but uh, it's the business of being on different labels. We shall see how that goes. Uh, And as part of that, they have come out with surround sound mixes of all of the george harrison albums yeah
0: you say surround sound but it, you're also referring to spatial spatial audio exactly
1: atmos oh. is it spotify or uh, it's on apple music uh, it's oh, i believe okay. it's also on spotify as well if you have any of the streamers that carry spatial audio or you know atmos will have a version of it oh that's nice
0: you gotta have special equipment to listen to it
1: <laughs> you gotta have an iphone or, or a mac and uh, a couple hundred dollar pair
0: of uh, earbuds did kit ever break down and buy i know she was a little hesitant
1: hey kit <laughs> i'll have to bother her about that i'll talk to her soon as Toppermost of the popper is coming up for that's right the february episode is out we're working on the march Ooh. episode and the april episode will be recorded soon enough
0: It's fun to listen to. I haven't listened to the February, but I'm going to do that on my my business trip here coming up next week.
1: We all love Kit, and Martin is fun too. It's good to have some representation from that side of the pond. Martin is the man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the other bit of news we got was uh, there was a little blurb about what Paul is up to, and most notably, Giles Martin says there are plans for a... 1965 box this year. Rubber Soul and Revolver are going to be packaged together into a single box.
0: You know, I have some old reel-to-reels, and they were packaged together. Actually, the Beatles' second album and another album, I forget what it is now, they would package both together in one reel-to-reel. So one album was on site one, the other album was on site two. They did that for a few (laughs) reel-to-reels. Nowadays, (laughs) you'll find the Russian counterfeits, they did that as well. But that's pretty cool. I wonder really what kind of outtakes are going to get
1: you know how much is there for rubber salt there's a bit more for help but a lot of that is just yeah. run throughs and you know we got like what six instrumental versions of help before they even started in on the vocals right six
0: You know, and going over the years, you know, but since, you know, you and I've been collecting and I don't remember seeing or hearing much on um, any, any outtakes over the years, you know. Even poor quality ones, there was not much out there.
1: There's a bit here and there, you know, there's yeah. a, that means a lot. And if you got troubles, those are all from that period of time.
0: Is it? Okay,
1: Of course, we don't know. I mean, you know, it's just like the Lennon demos from Revolver. It's like, we never knew any
0: of those existed. Well, you know, you're right. There were some pleasant surprises on that album. So I guess we'll
1: find out soon enough. You know, Rubber Soul certainly never really had a great stereo mix.
0: Mm, Yeah, it it had that CD mix back in the (laughs) 80s.
1: It was one of those that back in the vinyl days, for whatever reason... George Martin mixed it in that ping pong stereo, that right left thing.
0: Sort of like early Beatles stuff, so someone antiquated.
1: Yeah, exactly. And now that they've got the technology, the mal technology, Giles can actually get to the individual pieces. Sweet. Well, I got to save a pennies for that, right?
0: <laughs> It'll be here, folks, just in time for Xmas. <laughs> or maybe sooner.
1: When is the anniversary? Uh, I mean, the Rubber Soul anniversary is late in the year. Help was uh, summer with the album, right? Right, right? right, right. Like July, August. Eight arms to hold you, right? We may get it sometime in between those two. And, uh, you know, they don't want to go right on top of Christmas, but sometime in there. Yeah,
0: give folks a chance to order it, get it packaged, gift wrap. you
1: know, probably see it in November. That would be what they've done for the last two, for Revolver and for Let It Be. Uh, the other thing mentioned in there is... A 50th anniversary box of Band on the Run. Paul, do we really need another (laughs) copy, another reissue of Band on the Run? I have one from whenever it was. It was a CD package. It's like three discs, and beyond that, there's also the archive edition, which we got not that many years later. It was like three or four years later. It was one of the early archive editions. Right. You know, I have a... uh... What is it on DVD?
0: I think I have a DVD surround sound special mix of Band on the Run. They also had the gold the DCC edition of Band on the Run. Maybe that's what I have. Maybe it is it was it's really a weird mix. My stereo doesn't like it. Some of the instruments like especially the Moog is really up high. It's just a weird listen. It's not mixed correctly. For my stereo,
1: <laughs> well, was meant for quad, and quad, while it plays on modern surround equipment, is just weird. Yeah, quad for your four ears, as they used to say, <laughs> two in the back and two in the front. That's what's new, but that's not what we're going to talk about. We got
0: a special show today in regards to a big influence on the Beatles.
1: Well, I mean, we're not too far away from the anniversary of the day the music died when buddy holly actually went down that was in february and buddy holly had releases which were on the top of the british charts through the 60s uh Mm -hmm. brown eyed handsome man was actually in the charts 60 years ago in february 63 so he actually toured england Neither John nor Paul went to the show for whatever reason. Yeah, according to the research by uh, Mark
0: Lewison, how could they miss that? That's a good
1: question. (laughs) Well, especially since we know Paul liked to spend money to go and see shows. Yeah. And and John, too, but less so.
0: Obviously, everybody knows that's not his real name. And his last name is not even spelled correctly.
1: EY, as your friend knows very well. Right. It's Charles Hart and
0: Holly. H-O-L-L-E-Y. E-Y, yep. So they called him Buddy, you know, I guess, since he was a kid. I had a chance to visit the Buddy Holly Museum in Lubbock like 25 years ago. And uh, it's certainly worth a visit if anyone is ever in uh, North Texas and Lubbock, Texas. It's a nice exhibit there for uh, Buddy.
2: We were kids back in Liverpool in our teenage years. And this record came out, that'll be the day, and it was like this guy. We didn't know what it was, you know, we thought it was like a black group or something and we found out it was Buddy Holly and the Crickets. So we became great fans and we were buying all the records, trying to learn all the songs and uh, so we really kind of learned a lot about guitar playing off those records, you know, the chords basically
1: two or three tours ago. Mm -hmm. The only place he went in Texas was Lubbock. He played a buddy tune there. Uh, It's so easy up there on stage in Lubbock. So, you know, he paid the tribute to the man. Yeah.
0: Of course, we all know he owns the publishing rights to Buddy Holly's song catalog.
1: Well, which is a reason for one of the discs that we're going to talk about today. All righty, then. Paul bought the Buddy Holly catalog. Actually, he bought it from Norman Petty in 1973.
0: I didn't realize it was that early. I thought it was around the mid-70s.
1: It was one of his first acquisitions for what became MPL. Yeah. And he still has the rights, right? He still has the rights to this day. Awesome. The last I heard about it was when they went through the 56-year paperwork, and they did renew with Paul again, so. Okay. Happens every so often. The next time is when it's going to go into the public domain. Oh goodness. For decades, American copyright laws have kept intellectual property or IP from 1923 under copyright laws, but starting in 2019, all works created in 1923 will convert from copyright protected to copyright free. The next year, on January the 1st, 2020, the tradition will continue with IP from 1924, and so on year after year. Online companies are also taking notice, and Google Books is going to be releasing all books that it has from 1923 for free online. When materials are copyright free and enter the public domain. That means you or anyone can do whatever you want with the material. What
0: has to happen so that doesn't happen? Wasn't there some releases of Beatles
1: songs on iTunes some years ago? Some of the early BBC stuff is actually in the public domain. Is it? Okay. Apple can make it uncomfortable on anyone who goes and releases it but they are legally allowed to do so
0: okay that's why we go to the record store the one here in houston uh, it's cactus records there's some crazy albums there <laughs> well, i guess that's that public domain catalog and the racks
1: yeah exactly i mean it's mostly the 62 stuff yeah 62 and early 63 the for me use sessions are actually in the public domain so i mean people can issue them and they do. And they're legal releases. They're not counterfeits. They're not bootlegs. But they sound like what they are because they have no access to any of the tapes. Pressing discs off of the same bootlegs that we had. <laughs> oh, well, the quality
0: suffers big time.
1: So Paul had bought the Buddy Holly catalog and his in-laws, the Eastman, said, you know, you need to do something to try and promote this catalog and, and get some more airplay in Maybe find a reason for people to play Buddy Holly songs again.
0: Okay, so therefore he hooked up with his his buddy Denny Lane.
1: This was recorded during the fall of 1976 between the American leg and the British leg of the uh, Wings Over tour. I, I notice it was uh, recorded at Rude
0: Studios. That that's McCartney Studio, right? That's
1: McCartney Studio in Scotland. Scotland, yeah. Uh, okay. If you read Alan Cozen's book, Paul always liked to record there.
0: Yeah, well, they didn't take much time off between the tours, U.S. tour, and then recording this album, and then back to the U.K. tour.
1: The U.S. tour ended, like, end of July, yeah. 76, and then the U.K. tour started up in September. So, you know, they only really had, like, maybe six weeks. Although, look, they went in and they did this whole thing in maybe a week. <laughs>
0: uh, I thought you were going to say a day. Because some of it sounds like a day, <laughs> but a week's pretty fast. That's a lot of recording there.
1: The first thing that you'll notice when you listen to this disc, they're relying on the rhythm box a lot.
0: Yeah, I remember, like it was yesterday, Ed, I was at the concert in 76, and they had the acoustic sessions part of the the show, Blackbird, and uh, he brought out the rhythm box.
1: He and called it Robo,
0: I think. Robo, something like that. I remember. Saying, has anyone heard this? But you know, whatever he says. But he really liked that rhythm box, <laughs> especially on this
2: album. For those of you who can see, this little friend here has come on stage. Is uh, his little robot friend of ours here? We call it, his name's Robo. All right. <laughs> and uh, what he does like is he keeps the time during the next song we do. You know, he keeps the rhythm. And he's, he's one of these computer jobs, you know, you got to be very careful with them, you know what I mean? So uh, I'm just going to give him a little bit of delicate
1: tuning, you know, just very fine tuning these jobs are. Just a minute. Delicate tuning. Okay. The other thing about this record is, other than two songs, it was all mixed to mono and then yeah. <laughs> released in reprocessed, rechanneled stereo. Yeah. <laughs> they were like a week right they were in a hurry to get this in and out well exactly so i mean they took the dave dexter route and you know (laughs) uh, we'll,
0: we'll, we'll make some fake stereo out of this it was just them right denny and paul and linda that was it who played drums it would have had to have been paul i mean on the tracks
1: that we have real drums the rhythm box was played by paul pushed the button let it go I don't hear a whole lot of bass, but I would guess Paul's also playing bass. Yeah,
0: there's bass on there. There's also a synthesizer bass. It's yeah. a little precursor to McCartney 2, because they uh, they use a lot of sequencers, and there's a lot of electronic stuff, so it, it was actually kind of ahead of its game. I didn't really like it at the time, but I guess we'll talk about that later.
1: <laughs> it is what it is, and as we will discuss once we get done with this record, John Lennon spend an hour in uh, his hotel room and came out with, in some instances, better renditions of these songs than Paul did (laughs) in the studio.
0: Yeah. And they were home recordings, too. Very crude home recordings.
1: We we were talking about the archive editions. Are we going to see this disc in the London Town box, you think? Oh, you know what?
0: We could see a variation of it, if not the entire song list.
1: It's a 28-minute disc. (laughs) You know, it's not even going to be half of a CD if Paul's looking for bonus material for London Town. Yeah.
0: I tend to think not, but it could be.
1: It's been ignored. I mean, and Denny is always looking for something to release. It's had like one issue on CD ever, and that was in France. Oh, really? It was reissued on CD in France. It was never reissued in the States, it was never reissued in the UK. I looked for it in in the streaming, couldn't find it. I would tell him to stick it in the London Town box, but given his relationship with Danny and all the rest of that, I don't know if he's actually going to do it. But it's an oddity, it's a rarity. You can find it on YouTube, and the sound quality is such that you're not missing too much by going for the low bitrate version. Well,
0: And what else would you release with London Town? How many outtakes are there? I mean, other than Mulligan Tire, Girls' School.
1: There's certainly like the early version of Wanderlust. A lot of the Jimmy McCulloch stuff that they recorded on the boat.
0: Well, they're going to do that with Jimmy and they need to do this with Denny.
1: Well, exactly. <laughs> and once again, it's like, is Paul going to actually release it? Because Paul likes to have us believe that London Town was just the three of them. I have the poster to prove it. Even though Jimmy played on the majority of the record. So,
0: <laughs> poor Jimmy, rest in peace. Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: all right. So, the album starts with Heartbeat, Heartbeat, somewhat
0: unrecognizable. <laughs> of course, these are special versions, these are covers. It starts off, it's the Heartbeat, right?
3: Hot. Why do you miss when my baby kisses
0: me? As soon as I heard this, it's like McCartney too. <laughs> With the rhythm box, the synth opening. I kind of like it. it. And now I do because it's kind of avant-garde, you know? I didn't appreciate it when it was released. I bought the album when it was released. I did not appreciate it.
1: If you were l- picking this up either looking for the McCartney Wayne's Denny Lane record or you were picking it up as, oh, it's a Buddy Holly tribute album, starting like this is not going to put you off on the right foot.
0: You know, this is one of my favorite Buddy Holly songs. But this is okay. Again, it's a precursor to McCartney 2, in my
1: opinion. Uh, you get a lot of backing vocals from Paul. Paul's having fun.
3: I know that you love will be, be, be,
0: be Yeah, I think throughout this album there's a lot of backing vocals some more prominent than others with Paul and Linda.
1: And in some cases it's Linda to the fore. And in some cases it's Paul. Yeah. And in some cases it's the two of them or the three of them. One thing it does is it sounds like wings. I mean it is wings but by putting those three voices together it sounds like wings.
0: They could have used one of these on uh, Wings at the Speed of Sound.
1: The keyboards are nice. It ends kind of suddenly. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's surprise, surprise. We don't know whether the tape broke down or whether Paul just said, nope, we're going to stop it right here. Well, the heartbeat stopped. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's was uh, sudden sudden stop. Second is Moon Dreams which is one of Buddy's early songs. It's a Norman Petty song. Your face takes
3: its place in every
0: movie. I like this this version again more rhythm box, more synth. There is almost a Harry Nielsen vibe to it. Just about, yeah. With respect to Denny's vocals, actually, is they're pretty good uh, on these songs.
1: Uh, Denny's vocals are pretty good throughout this whole set. Yeah. Although you do recognize Denny's not Buddy Holly.
0: <laughs> they're not even trying to be Buddy Holly. You know McCartney's background on this one can be easily heard. Wait a
1: This is a song that people don't know quite as much. It was actually recorded by Buddy Holly in the same session as True Love Ways, Randy in My Heart, and It Doesn't Matter Anymore. You know, three songs we know real well, and this one. Is that the time he did orchestrate it? Yeah, exactly. It's
0: one of his, one of the his The Dick last... Jacobs Orchestra. Yeah.
1: It also makes some sense that he would say, you know, let's record some stuff that's not as well known. He's trying to sell the catalog after all. Right. Right. You know, everybody knows all these other songs.
0: Well, this album did not motivate me to buy the Buddy Holly catalog. <laughs> what did was the movie that came out.
1: Gary Busey, the Buddy Holly story.
0: Yeah, that motivated me to go and research and buy up some albums. For old Buddy Holly. I
1: mean, there aren't that many Buddy Holly albums. I mean,
0: Buddy wasn't with us all that long. No, no but there's some greatest hits. And there was, I got a couple of bootlegs, live recordings.
2: I want to ask you a question. How old are all these fellows? Well, there's 218, 120, and uh,
3: I'm 21. Where do you come from? Lubbock, Texas? Lubbock, Texas, yes, sir. You go to school down there?
2: Well, we did until uh, we got out of high school, finally. Right after high school, you started uh, playing together? Yes, sir, that's right. Was your big hit right from the start, or has it been sort of a long... Well, uh, we've had a few rough times, I guess you say, but we've been real lucky getting it this quick. Uh, well, Texas, nice to, uh, nice to have you up here. Thank Let's have love. a
1: very nice hand for these Texas brothers. Anyone who is a fan <laughs> of The British Invasion And certainly the Beatles would have to be More or less a fan of Buddy Holly I mean, you know, they picked up so much From him Yeah, words so, of love It's a little bit surprising that's the only one they ever officially recorded
0: That's right And the so, Crickets, the Beatles, the Crickets
1: Yeah, exactly <laughs> The story is, exactly. goes on from there Of course, the Hollies were named after Buddy Holly
3: hey,
1: The next song is actually probably the best song on the record. Is their version of Rave On. Yeah, it's a fun song.
3: (laughs) What little things you say and do (gasps) What little things you say and do Make me want to be with you Rave on, it's a crazy feeling And I know it's got me really when you say I love you,
0: rave on to me. The song, as it's recorded by Buddy Holly, it's a really cool song. I like the intro. It's just vocals and hand claps for a good while.
1: Yeah, the, we don't get instruments until yeah. almost like halfway through the song. Yeah,
0: and this one has the, I'm going to say the vibe of like the Beach Boys vibe.
1: This is a song that I would have liked to have seen Wings take onto one of their actual Wings albums. Oh, yeah. This would have been a good one. You know, we got to remember there was a little bit of a Buddy Holly revival going on at the time. You had Linda Ronstadt. That's right. It's so easy to love. That's Peter Asher pushing the Buddy Holly catalog without Paul's help. <laughs> That's right. Had they finished it, this actually could have been a really great Wings record. It could have conceivably even been a hit Wings record for a cover. The only bad thing about this recording is you can hear the line noise coming through. I had a lot of noise in the room, so I didn't hear the line noise. There was a hum? There's a very definite hum. Oh, okay. As you go out of this tune, it's like, what's that? Oh. That's real, okay?
0: So that's some real music there. <laughs> Gotta have some humming.
1: <laughs> that was their deal, was like, they excused it all by, uh, oh, we're just trying to keep it real. <laughs> yeah. Well, they certainly did. We want to be like buddies, so we're going to play and we're going to record like he did. We don't need no fancy overdubs. That's like McCartney
0: 1, just stick the uh, chord right directly into the 8-track uh, or 4-track. No filters, you know, no <laughs> EQ.
1: <laughs> track 4, uh, I'm Gonna Love You Too, written by Joe B. Yeah, this is a nice rockabilly song.
3: You gonna see you miss me, you gonna see you
1: yeah, although here's where the Denny vocals kind of let you down a little bit. It's not the greatest
0: lead. This bass is the Mini Moog bass. It's not an acoustic or a electric bass.
1: I like the organ, although... That may be Linda playing. it's a little bit sloppy. You
3: gonna you, me, you gonna
0: Is there a cowbell on this song? <laughs> no. Need more synth. Need more synth. <laughs> it's another one that kind of ends early. They didn't know what to do, so we'll just stop it yeah, here. It's like I'm looking at the my notes, you know. it's a two-minute and fifteen second song. It's time to stop. Just just <laughs> end it.
1: Okay, then. Fool's Paradise. I love the
0: original. I love the, yeah, the bloody Holly yeah. song. Yeah, same here. This is okay. Not, it's not the best song.
1: Okay, and then then Side One ends with the Longsomed Tears, which is an instrumental version of it. it it's it's kind of nice. One of two
0: instrumentals on this, and I can only presume that that's McCartney playing lead guitar.
1: It's a real nice version on the guitar. I like it. It's moving. I would say there's about three or four really good tracks on this record. This and this is one of them. We're on to side two. It's a. It's so easy. Paul still likes to play this song a lot. Nice tune. Very smooth. Good background vocals. I like Paul and Linda.
0: I like the medley. She goes into "Listen to Me." Yeah. Buddy, he's credited Charles Harden. It's Holly,
1: Petty, Charles Harden, Petty. Norman Petty doesn't really deserve much of no, these songwriting credits no. anyway. I mean,
0: He got the credit because he was the producer, right?
1: He certainly did a lot for Buddy. I mean, he, he was like George Martin, but he did not deserve songwriting credit. Yeah, it wasn't Lennon, McCartney,
0: and Martin. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> no, no.
1: You know, all due respect. Yeah. Well, and we know that these days... The only thing about this version, when it goes into the middle eight, when it goes, you know, I've told the stars, you're my only love, it comes on just a little bit abruptly. You think so? I don't know if there's an edit in there or if someone just went into it a little bit early and they just went with it.
0: Maybe so. Back then, they actually did, like, physical edit on the tape. And once you cut the tape, there's no going back.
1: <laughs> Done that many times back in the day. Again, going back to the Buddy Holly story, there's that scene in there, one take Holly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Buddy screws it up and they, they all get real matted. Yeah, that's funny. Song two on side two is uh, Look at Me, Petty Holly, and Jerry Al- Allison. This is one of the ones that's really heavy on the rhythm box. <laughs> Yeah, it
0: sounds like McCartney too. definitely. (laughs) It's the vibe.
1: The other thing about this version, the acoustic guitar is doing some interesting things, but the lead, the electric, is just kind of just playing along.
0: Yeah, they had fun. This is a good three-minute, ten-second song, so just jam on it.
1: Track three on side two, uh, Take Your Time. This is a little bit weird because Paul and Linda take their backing and... Speed it up, they do a little varus speed, and it comes in chipmunk style. Yeah,
0: this is one of the lesser known Buddy Holly tunes. <laughs>
1: original was great there are very few not great buddy holly tunes although i mean this is them kind of doing what buddy did buddy did he did some backing for like waylon jennings <laughs> yeah, where yeah, he, yeah he went into some like jokey versions <laughs> i mean you know he he did some like donald duck backing vocals so you know we want to be generous we can say paul linder kind of aping that maybe
0: so a lot of extensive use here on the electronic Rhythm box, of course.
1: It's more a surprise when we get actual drums. Uh, Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then the last song on the disc, Song 10, is an instrumental version of Looking for Someone to Love. Here we get actual drums. Yeah. The lead is kind of cool. The lead is a little bit jazzy. That may be Denny. We got the synth, and then once once again we have the fade out and the fade back in.
0: I think it's the longest song on the album. comes in at almost four minutes, three minutes and 57 seconds. So it's jamming towards the
1: end there. Three minutes for these 50s-type songs, that's a long song. It is. So all in all, as long as you know what you're in for when you buy this disc, it's fun. I would certainly take it as a bonus for the London Town release, but I could see it very definitely being something disappointing if you're buying it in 1977. And then what about the album cover? is that linda's horse on the cover (laughs) i guess linda took all the cover photos and the inner sleeve photos and she did yeah that may be it's in scotland right it's not photos of the band for
0: the most part (laughs) (laughs) what is that Scarfs or ties or what the heck's on there
1: yeah i think that's like paul's okay well that's the album it's a weird little collection but i mean you know I guess I'm glad he did it. You know, it's it's I'd rather have it than not have it. But uh No,
0: no I have it. <laughs> I haven't played it much over the years, but
1: I have it. <laughs> there's a couple of tracks which are worth putting on your playlist, but for the most part it's what it sounds like. It's like them just kind of fooling around. Mm-hmm. It's funny, it sounds more like a bootleg than a legitimate it release, does. but it, it, it was does. legitimately released.
0: Yeah. What you gotta do is play if you have the vinyl, pick up the vinyl and play that and then, then play McCartney too. Right after. It's in the same vein, you know?
1: <laughs> or you can play this other disc that we're just about to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, uh. You know, it's it's kind of cool that uh, John and Paul often did very similar things. So in September 71, just after John and Yoko moved to New York, Yoko had decided to make uh, this avant-garde film.
0: It was really crazy. I don't recall seeing this film.
1: We've never seen the full thing. We got a couple of outtakes in that Above Us Only Sky film, The Making of Imagine, when the Imagine anniversary box came out. Okay. The idea of this film is they were spending a fair bit of time in their hotel room, so Yoko kind of said, okay, we've got a clock on the mantelpiece. We're going to point the camera at the clock and just record what happens in the clock and in the mirror for an entire hour they're
0: recording whatever is happening and they're recording the room noise and john's just jamming on his acoustic
1: and that kind of explains the last track that we're going to get here the camera's pointed at the mirror you can see the clock in front of the mirror and you can see the time on the clock in the mirror you can see the couch and you know there's the telephone and john and yoko are just kind of hanging out and it's like oh Okay, here's what we're going to do. Here, Here's one hour out of our lives. And May is also there in the room with them. May was her assistant at that point in time. You see them in the reflection of the mirror? You see them as a reflection in the mirror. You see the clock in front of the mirror and you see the time on the clock. Very interesting. So this became known as Clock. A film that was released? I don't know if it was ever released or not. It was certainly finished it existed we'd seen stills of it throughout the 80s and 90s but i don't think we have ever actually seen the mm. whole thing maybe it'd be included sometime in new york city it's between yeah. imagine and sometime in new york city because imagine been recorded and done this was one of the first things they did when they came to new york yeah you know, before they moved down to Greenwich Village, they they were living in a hotel in the St. Regis Hotel. Yeah. Right. When did they move to Dakota? They moved to the Dakota, like, just before uh, the last weekend. Is there any
0: other recordings of this that are uh, better? Because <laughs> the quality is really bad.
1: There's a decent version out there, but it's not a, none of it is really great. I mean, so the point is, you, as you had mentioned, they have this camera and they have just a, a single microphone and John, yeah, is, okay. John is just real, real close into this microphone and he, he's singing and playing the guitar into it.
0: Yeah, and then because it's a, a mic in the room, it's picking up everything
1: as they wanted i mean you can hear the telephone ringing and you hear them answering the telephone and talking talking to various people as they call in que pasa que pasa yeah yeah i love it john john is having a lot of fun and (laughs) the, the reason we're including it in this show is a significant chunk of this disc is john playing buddy holly yeah he's
0: he's jamming i mean it's amazing that it's just like intuitive I would imagine he doesn't have any sheet music, he doesn't have any notes, he's just playing these songs from when he used to play them 10 years prior.
1: Again, Buddy Holly, uh, it's great music, but it's not the most complicated music, it's where the Beatles got this whole idea of, let's write simple but exceedingly memorable songs.
0: Three chords, three chords, E-A-D, and maybe a B every once in a while. And maybe every (laughs) once in a
1: while, so... So, okay, so oh, they they, they turned on the camera. Uh, John starts with some not Buddy Holly. He starts with the Dwayne Eddy tune. Yeah. Yeah. He's busting his way through it. This is one of the ones that actually, you know, uh, has a lot of chords in it. Yeah, he really
0: does a good job. It almost could fool me. It could have been George playing it. <laughs> he's pretty proficient. Although he's the rhythm player, he was pretty proficient.
1: So he moves on from there into a song that he knew very well. Oh, yeah. Honey,
0: don't. And he actually sang vocals, lead vocals on this, right? On the BBC. <laughs>
3: Saturday night. Sunday morning, it don't look right. You can't have the pain in the town. I oh, honey not stepping around, but I don't honey do not honey don't, honey don't. Honey, don't. Honey, don't. Honey, don't. Honey, don't.
1: He It's him <laughs> and his guitar and Yoko and May, although May doesn't ever actually sing on anything. <laughs> yeah, but Yoko's not overbearing on this. And Yoko actually puts in a little harmony, and it's really actually pretty good harmony on, on one or two of the Buddy Holly songs that are coming up here.
0: You know, very easily, McCartney could have just showed up and this would have been like the perfect jam for the two
1: as we found out from alan cozen's book well th- this may have been just a little bit too early for that but oh, they it? were yeah. looking they were looking for things to happen but you know yes if paul were in new york and john said hey come over this very well could have been something like that uh, the, the, yeah. the thing that i find kind of interesting here we got two discs, albeit a short disc from paul and there's really only a couple of buddy holly songs that they do in common there they both do eight nine ten buddy holly songs and there's only like two of them that they do in common yeah you know not that john didn't play it enough with the beatles but he does a good job on the lead on honey don't he really does again i would i wish it was better quality but uh,
0: you certainly can hear what he's doing, and it's a good rendition. Look at
1: holidays. Uh, the quality of this, in a lot of instances, is better than the quality that's on. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't hear the rhythm box. Well, now, now, now that's true.
0: It should have been called instead of clock phone ring.
4: The phone <laughs> rings
0: like every three minutes.
3: Hey, que pasa
0: Que pasa? Que pasa? <laughs> I'm going to use that as my ringtone.
1: <laughs> <Que pasa? laughs> Who is that? It's John Lennon. <laughs> oh, well. John stops on Honey Don't and he says uh, at exactly 22, he lit her cigarette. <laughs> so he's looking at John's yeah. looking at the clock. Right. 22 minutes after the hour.
0: Then he goes into a little fragment of. Uh... <laughs>
1: That's a Harrison saying that, didn't he? In the BBC. Yeah, it's a Carl Perkins song. Yeah, that's right. That's one of George's favorites. And you know, George and Carl would always, always do that one whenever they got together. Were any of these songs on the Rock and Roll album? A few years later, Peggy Sue certainly
0: was. Peggy Sue was, yeah, it's Peggy Sue.
1: We know John did uh, Honey Done in the studio on on his solo sessions so we've got a couple of studio but they weren't officially released do you have the uh double
0: fantasy jam session
1: yeah, yeah yeah
0: he does a lot of a lot of stuff there too old songs
1: after we got the plastic ono box you know i hope we get a disc like that of john jamming because we know he's got a full disc of jams for like every album yeah yeah he so was he, we,
0: he was jamming on it i have a cassette that i somehow acquired back in the day
1: so when we get them when we get like the mind games release which is Mm -hmm. i would guess is going to be this year although we don't know we haven't heard anything i mean the sometime box is still uh lost in the ether no that's not coming out you're gonna call it you're gonna say (laughs) that it's going to be put away for another five ten years it's gonna be put away
0: until the year 25 25 it's they're gonna have to do something nowadays uh but I think Mind Games that would be a nice one to remix.
1: The Lennon Estate seems to be sticking with anniversaries, so no, I you know I think we're probably going to get that, get Walls and Bridges, get Rock and Roll, and then I would guess that they'll do a Milk and Honey double mm, fantasy. Okay. But they're not going to wait until the aught year; they'll probably forego the anniversary. I mean, they did that with uh, Imagine as well. So
0: yeah, well we'll see. When it happens, if it happens, it will happen.
1: That's a good way to put it. John moves on with another song that he loved to play and George loved to play. And the Beatles did a BBC version. And this is, is a really energetic version of Lend Me Your Comb.
0: Yeah, it's another Carl Perkins tune.
4: Lend me your comb. Time to go home.
3: confess. My hair is a mess.
0: Pretty laid back vocals, but. It's pretty tight. He's really strumming his guitar to it's like the strumming on all my loving. <laughs> yeah. He's he's very proficient
1: at it. <laughs> kind of like the triplets.
3: Time to go home, confess. My hair is a mess.
1: The only uh Lennon song On this set, he does an acoustic version of uh, New York City. The lyrics had not been complete, and you got to remember, John had literally just landed in New York City. Does he even say New York City?
0: It's still kind of a work in progress.
1: The David Peel references are not there yet, and and all the political lyrics are not there, but he's thinking about it. Yeah,
0: but the melody is...
1: This is really where you can see how John would go about writing songs.
0: Just let the tape run. You catch it and then work on it later.
1: But for John, it really was all, or at least mostly, stream of consciousness, and then he'd come around to it. It It's like, okay, I like that bit. Yeah,
0: it's like that bit of uh, 1964 Hotel, and he's playing a little organ, and he's playing the Strawberry fills opening. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. really
0: eerie to hear that, and you know, not that he did it consciously, but maybe something that he thought about later.
1: It, it hung around in his mind a little bit. Yeah. Then he goes into to wake up little Susie. This is one where it would have been great if Paul were around. I mean, that's what yeah. they did, but John still remembers it.
0: Yeah, and then there's that infamous phone just rings. Oh, my ringtone on my phone is the same. So every time that would ring, I listened to it and I was grabbed from my phone. Because <laughs> I have the old fashioned phone on my
1: iPhone. <laughs> yeah, on the phones was a fan apparently named Karen. Hey, Capasa! Who's
3: there, a Capasa! Karen, I got a news for you. It's that fucking fan key to eat Yeah, tell the operator not to call anybody called Karen. It's a fan. And you never see this.
1: Karen from. Where? Oh, I spoke to him before where? and he knows me very well, but he's not speaking a fan called May. Oh, it's that damn Karen again. <laughs> and then he tells me, tell the front desk if someone named Karen calls, don't let him <laughs> ring up. <laughs>
0: how did Karen get the number?
1: John was a little bit annoyed at that point. Yeah. Then he moves on from there into a a bit of Chuck Berry's Vacation Time, which is a lesser-known Chuck Berry tune. I had
0: to look it up and listen to the original. But John sure did know it.
3: This shower is over now. Vacation's just begun.
1: That's one of those, probably, that he just sat and learned the B-side of a record. Yeah. We move on from here into a Buddy Holly set, and he does a fairly complete Buddy Holly set. Yeah, it sounds really good. He starts off with Peggy Sue, a very authentic version of Peggy Sue.
0: That is right And then he moves on to uh, Not Fade Away Does a good job on that I'm, I'm glad there were minimal Interruptions on this one
3: I'm gonna tell you how it's gonna be You're gonna give your love to me
0: That was the most annoying thing, is those interruptions in the background. You hear Yoko <laughs> talking on the phone.
1: Not Fade Away is the one where Yoko doesn't know the backing, but she kind of makes up something, and, and it fits, and it actually sounds pretty good. I didn't even re- even
0: recognize she was singing in the background.
1: She tells John, you know, I like this, what is it? And, and John <laughs> doesn't tell her, it's Buddy Holly. <laughs> Don't you know that? You no, know, it's okay that Yoko doesn't know yeah. that.
0: Well, she was classically trained, right? Yeah. She probably wasn't listening to the Beatles, or buddy, Holly. <laughs> Those two are great. They really are. That's worth the package.
1: I really do hope we get the film someday. Not because it's a great film, but it would be great to actually see John playing all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely.
1: I think the only reason we have the soundtrack is the soundtrack was part of what Yoko put into the Lost Lennon tapes recordings. So someone you know, oh, okay. someone dubbed yeah. dubbed the soundtrack and that's how, where the bootleg came
0: from. Okay. I'm just going to ask where did this derive? Was it one of those that what's his name? stole?
1: I don't think Fred stole this, you know, like I say there's a fair bit of stuff that Yoko sent off to be cataloged and then that went in eventually went into the lost Lennon tapes. Okay. So, you know, full versions of those made their way out because people would listen to it Ooh, that's kind of cool and then you know tape their own versions we move on from there to you're so square baby i don't care both an elvis and a buddy holly song yeah and john does a little bit of both of them
0: yeah that's a good one i I like the song to begin with buddy holly's song
1: Whenever John does the, the Elvis, the, oh, oh, always. Oh, 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 that's always a good time. And, and he does a little uh, bit of that here,
0: too. Yeah, this is what you would like to uh, see in the film, <laughs> his, his facial expressions.
1: And you mm. can see him just doing some of the Elvis dance moves, in, sitting there on the couch trying while he's playing the guitar. Well, like he did on One to One. But this is a really good version. I agree. And to be able to pay tribute to both of his idols in a single version of a song that they both did, you know... That took some doing, and and John managed to do it. He's just playing. He's sitting there playing
0: from his heart. I don't think this was planned, right? Or what was it?
1: He may have been thinking a little bit. Of, John probably said, "Well, what can I do while we're filming? Well, I can, you know, I can play. Yeah, just play the songs, you know." And you just look at the selection and the fact that he doesn't start off with the Buddy Holly stuff is not really a planned thing. I'm going to see what I can play acoustic. And he may have vaguely thought, oh, I can play some Buddy Holly.
0: And some of the songs you can kind of hear, he's he's kind of quickly trying to figure it out, but he catches it really quick. I mean, he, he gets in tune with the song from a strumming standpoint and playing the correct chords.
1: On a couple of them, it takes him a little while to find the chords on the guitar, but he gets there by the time he really needs to. Which is so cool. That's like, You can catch him
0: at the uh, coffee bar (laughs) doing that. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it just shows you a just how good John was. Yeah, and then b you know what all that work with the Beatles led to. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: It's the fact that the four of them were sitting around playing all the stuff, and I mean, you know, it's also the stories we've always heard about. When in the middle of the night in Hamburg, it's like, let's play all of Buddy's first album or let's play all of Carl Perkins' <laughs> yeah. first album. you know, And they do. And so, I mean, even if he didn't know it for sure, he knew it enough that it would come back to him
0: yeah and again the, uh, only 10 years or so that elapsed which is also 10 years but still but still that's, you think 10 years ago was 2013 it didn't seem yeah. like that long ago <laughs> you know and for him in 71 of course the music revolution happened in the 60s so I don't know what the perception was I was just a young boy <laughs>
1: hey, hey it's, it's, it's only been 10 years since we got the last band on the run reissue <laughs> what do you mean It's that's a long time ago right we so, gotta got have a 50th now how many
0: years between the bbc Volume one and two
1: <laughs> this is true
0: 25 is true. years
1: <laughs> it's this when we really hear yoko on the phone and i mean you know again you can't blame her that's what they were looking for audio or cinema verite it's a business type call that so yoko is it's, she's not just like talking on the phone there's stuff going on and so john's playing on top of that yeah,
4: we
0: can use Jackson's technology to take it out completely.
1: <laughs> then John moves on to more buddy. Uh, here we get heartbeat. Oh, Better than the McCartney Denny Lane version.
0: Yeah. I will call that. It is. It is a good one. I love that song.
1: John doesn't do anything bad on here. You know, some of them are less polished than others, but this sounds like the legitimate release, and Holiday sounds like the bootleg. Other than sound quality, as you know. Yeah. This was one of them where he was trying to find the chords. And Heartbeat is not an easy song to play on the guitar. I don't know if you've ever tried, but. uh, No, but I will now. Where's my guitar? (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) It took some work and I could see, but John gets there. He does it, man. That sees into Peggy Sue Got Married.
4: Peggy
3: Sue got married just the other day.
0: And then he he goes into Peggy Sue. Yet again, (laughs) yep. And the phone phone rings.
3: (laughs) Uh, who's speaking, please? Uh, we'll take the call. Who's he wish to speak to? Uh, just anyone, okay. I'll put you under the maid, okay? Your call, Henry Gonseller. Henry Gonseller.
1: Hello. You want to talk to somebody, I'll put you through to the maid. you got to figure, other than Karen, whoever is calling them, knows that they're there and has reason to be calling the line
0: across the ways, probably, at the next building over. <laughs> you know, back then, the buildings were so close.
1: Well, at least they didn't have someone knocking on the ceiling, stop playing that guitar! <laughs> <laughs> then it goes on to Maybe Baby. Oh, Which is wow. a great song. It's a great song, and, and John's vocal here yeah. is tremendous. Yeah, I love it. that's quintessential john lennon it shows you how great the buddy holly catalog actually was at this point you got you know 15 minutes of non-buddy holly but here is a set roughly the same length as holly days right right of buddy holly songs yeah he keeps playing on well he's got the rest of the
0: hour to fill don't he (laughs) keep playing john we're not complaining
1: he stops for, for just a minute, and then, then he comes back with Mailman, Bring Me No More Blues, which is a whole lot better than the Get Back version. Uh, probably
3: this
4: Christmas.
0: Yeah, but they get some background noise on this one. Which is not bad, but you can even hear the street sounds, you know?
1: (laughs) Uh, One thing it does, it gives you a real feel for what was actually going on in this hotel
0: room. New York City.
1: (laughs) I would have liked a cleaner version of this, but it's, you know, for what it is, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's history. It's history, man. It is is absolutely history.
1: So Yoko hangs up, and, and we hear we hear John exclaiming, right on. <laughs> yeah. he, he's happy she's off the phone. Yeah, so
0: impromptu. so things totally not rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for, for sure. sure. <laughs> for
1: sure. I mean, you know, it is what it is. We, we've explained what it is, and it feels like what it is. It's just John is putting so much energy into it.
0: He really is. And, and And again, I said earlier, it's just natural. The stuff is just... It's so intuitive to play these songs.
1: We always hear how John loved this stuff. Here, you can, in the sound of his playing and his singing, it's just all right there.
4: Yeah.
1: Right on. goes into Raven, great great version of Raven. Yeah, it really is. And so uh then then he goes in just off into a, a little little blues groove, little blues riff. Is up, I guess. <laughs> Time to stop, John. And here you can actually hear May. He's talking to May Pang. It's like, well, okay, you know, I'm going to stop and then we're going to go out the door.
3: Uh, I'm going to start by a clapstick. Okay, go on.
0: Huh? It's really cool. It's he's going through all the songs and the
1: people that influenced him
0: and you know,
1: and he's a funny guy. <laughs> You've got as much of John doing Buddy Holly as you do Paul and Denny doing Buddy Holly. You do. And there are advantages of each of them. I mean, even though Holly Days is rough, they are professionally performed versions as yeah. opposed to what's on clock.
0: <laughs> oh, definitely true.
1: Centering on the Buddy Holly songs. John's just having so much fun. I mean, John is probably having more fun than Paul and Denny were having, you know, although he doesn't go off into chipmunk's vocals. Yeah, <laughs> true. And Paul and Denny and Linda were probably uh, indulging in some uh, herbal recreation. Well, John, he, he may have been before or after, but <laughs> I would say he was probably pretty clean during this this hour for him to to be as good as he was by himself.
0: Right, right. It's just a ad lib performance
1: that's where we're at both these discs are on youtube we'll we'll put up links to them awesome that was fun i still find it pretty pretty cool that even though paul did it just because he had a reason he was trying to sell something john did it just out of his brain and out of his heart but it shows how the two guys were really on the same wavelength in a lot of ways oh absolutely the
0: influences everything i mean that's what made him such a great pair And then with the others, too, with George and Ringo.
1: That is John and Paul doing Buddy Holly. And as we say, happy 80th anniversary to the Harrison Estate. You know, uh, uh, hopefully we'll get something from George this year. Yeah, we'll be looking for it. John and I will be back with a new show next week. Thanks, Lonnie. You're you're around. Everything is uh, going good for you. Everything is going
0: hunky-dory. I'm not doing much on TikTok. I got kind of burned out on it. It's still there. I get a few hits. Thanks for having me, Ed. And John, be safe uh, in your travels.
1: Talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Be safe. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at when they was fab and on gmail the opening theme was written produced and recorded by jay young kim beast or famine studios san francisco california
2: But yeah, and we love Buddy, and I think the other reason we love Buddy was that he wrote. He yeah. wrote his stuff. Elvis didn't write his stuff. Loved Elvis, but he didn't write his stuff. That's right. So Buddy wrote and played, and played the solos. Yeah. So he was a self-contained guy, which is what we were trying On to- And his em- Strap, yeah. Yeah, which is what we were trying to emulate. And we were trying to, uh, I mean, the first thing we could not work out was the beginning of That'll Be The Day. And then I think George came on. He got it. I was like, What? So how did you do that? Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye. That'll be the day when you make me cry. You say you're going to leave. You know it's a lie, but that'll be the day oh. when I die. But well, that was a. Uh... Oh yeah, yes. Wow, yes. What is that really?
3: <laughs> I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on, and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they've got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. turned out nice again.